Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. And I'm in studio with Craig, which, as I said last week, always makes me feel more secure. My topic today is keep moving forward. And Mark Twain said, courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear. And I think this is very much what I'm going to be talking about, about us moving forward. But first of all, I want to just say that last week I mentioned that I am a convert and that my father had given me his blessings. And But it said, you know, did I realize that there would always be anti-Semitism? And I mentioned that he himself had gone through Bergen-Belsen uh, after the liberation. And um, uh, somebody stopped me in Peck and Pay. I asked if I could repeat what she said, and she said yes. Uh, and she said to me, don't you regret being Jewish now? And I, I actually burst out laughing because it was really, really funny to me because – I would never, ever regret being Jewish. I am a proud Jewess. I think the resilience of the Jewish nation is absolutely amazing. Their ability to reach out to other communities, to themselves, to work together, to actually bring uh, healing into this world is is unsurpassed by any other religion that I know of. So, no, I am certainly never going to regret it, and I am incredibly lucky and blessed to be part of this Jewish nation. Now, when the world tells you no, what do we have to do? We have to find a way to get a yes. I was listening to the uh, I-24 news as I was driving in here, and I heard about a, a, a campaign that had just been started. I think it was by Amy uh, Schumer, and it's called No Hostage Left Behind campaign. It's an open letter to President Biden, and it's got thousands of signatures already of entertainment execs, music producers, celebrities, actors, actresses, and uh, it's actually propelled by the creative community for peace organization. And it calls for freedom for Israelis and Palestinians to live side by side in peace. And to they, they talk about releasing the hostages. I would like you, whoever's wanting to, to actually look this up on No Hostage Left Behind. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. We are now going to be listening to a YouTube, and uh, it's by Viktor Frankl on Finding Meaning in Despair. And you might recognize the voice with him. It's Carol Charliewood in South Africa. So your basic philosophy is that life has meaning under all conditions, but... How easy is it when there's a sense of hopelessness, a sense of despair, to recognize this meaning? 
let me present you, confront you with a somewhat uh, strange definition of despair. As I'm used to uh, proclaiming is that despair uh, can be explained in terms of a mathematical equation. D, capital B, equals S minus M. What does it mean? Despair is suffering without meaning. As long as an individual cannot find, cannot see any meaning in his or her despair, he or she will certainly be prone to, in its suffering, I wanted to say, no meaning in the suffering. He or she will, uh, her will certainly be prone to despair and, under certain conditions, to suicide. But at the moment they can see a meaning in their suffering, they can mold it into an achievement, into a, they can mold their predicament into an accomplishment on the human level. They can turn their tragedies into a personal triumph. But they must know for what. What should I do with it? But if people like so many segments of present day society and population cannot find any meaning whatsoever in their lives, cannot see anything meaningful, they more often than not have uh, uh, to, uh, to, uh, something to live by. Uh, I'll say at least enough to live by. They cannot see anything to live for. What is the answer to the question, why me? Why did this happen to me? The uh, answer to such a question is nothing that a psychiatrist or any other type of a scientist <clears throat> can come up. But I would not uh, share the opinion of, say, Jean-Paul Sartre, who said we have to accept and uh, to shoulder courageously, heroically, the absolute meaninglessness of our lives. But what I think is rather that what we have to accept is the incapacity of, uh, our, of our humanness, the incapacity to recognize the ultimate meaning in intellectual or merely rational terms. This is the only thing we have to accept. But still we may believe in a, in ultimate meaning, but to to uh, lead someone, say a patient, to uh, to eat the way for him to such a belief, to faith is of course not the business or job to be carried out by a psychiatrist, but rather by a theologian. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program. If you'd like to message me, please do so on SMS 34519 or you can telegram me on 061-895-1019. This is 101.9 High FM. Now, when Viktor Frankl was talking about meaning and despair, part of being alive is to be scared and that we've got to keep moving, searching for the meaning in our lives at this moment. Often it's in reaching out to others that we actually do find meaning. 
And, uh, you know, the, the resilience of the Israeli spirit was very clear today when two survivors of the massacre by the Hamas terrorists um, were speaking about their ordeal. And the one said, um, it was a very inspirational message. He said, we will be back. We will rebuild. We will heal one another. The families are torn apart, but we are one family. And I thought, my gosh, how amazing, you know, to hold each other up. And then there was another uh, person who also spoke, and and once again was a concert survivor, and he said, uh, even animals don't behave like this. Well, uh, I'm going to be telling you a story about the morality of animals uh, quite soon. But in the meantime, I wanted to say thank you so much to my friend Les Erwig in Sydney, Australia. He sent me a, a Daily Maverick uh, article which said a little light in dark times. And it says, so nice to see good news and from South Africa. Well, that's what he said. And really, it was fantastic. It was about the box. Thanks to the spring box for providing us with a little light in dark times. And the person writing it said, I need to make an admission that might make you a little bit angry. Um, just let me turn. I hope you read to the end to give me the chance to temper your vexation. I haven't always been a Springbok fan. As an Indian kid growing up in apartheid South Africa, rugby was never on my radar. Tennis and cricket, yes, but not rugby. The Daily uh, Maverick sports editor, Craig, uh, Craig Ray, writes in his brilliant lead story this week that rugby was used as a symbol to somehow portray the best of a disgusting political system. And when Madiba famously asked us in 1995 to support the Springboks, it just didn't feel right to me, he says. But many years and controversies later, the box started to feel like our team. At the 2019 Rugby World Cup, when it seemed like they had finally shaken off their troubled legacy to evolve into a collective that was somehow truly South African. The stronger together theme um, that emerged of the previous World Cup ripples through our nation and calls for everyone to support the box no longer seem forced. I relented and I've become a box supporter. Well, I must admit, thank you, Les. That goes on. Anyone wants to read it, go on to it on Google uh, under the Daily Maverick, and it's it's worth reading. And it certainly did give us light relief. My daughter, who was here from Israel, and I decided we'd had enough of um, listening to, to the news. And last uh, the week before last, we thought we'd watch rugby instead. Well, I must admit, we ended up more anxious <laughs> than ever. But that's rugby for you. Thank you. Pray. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. We're now going to be listening to a news YouTube by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs on a responsible life. There's an African-American, a Lutheran called Stephen Carter who tells a story in one of his books. It's a fascinating story and a perfect illustration of what it is to live the responsible life. 
I gather in the early 1960s, Washington was quite a racially segregated city. There were predominantly white neighborhoods, predominantly black neighborhoods. And he tells the story of how, as a young boy, he and his family moved into a white area of Washington where they were the first black family. He says, our first morning in the neighborhood, we sat on the front steps to see how people would welcome us. They didn't. They didn't even look at us. It was as if we were invisible. And I felt to myself, we should never have come here. We will never belong here. And while I was thinking those thoughts, a lady on the opposite side of the street, her arms laden with shopping, turned towards us and gave us an enormous smile and a wave. Then she disappeared into her house opposite where we were living. And then a few moments later, she came out with a tray laden with drinks and cookies and came over to me and my brothers and sisters and said, how wonderful to have you here. That moment changed my life. And it taught me that I could belong here. That lady, he says, whose name was Sarah Kestenbaum and who died all too young, was an Orthodox Jewish lady. He said, Jews have a word for this kind of thing. They call it chesed, meaning kindness, especially to strangers and especially when it's hard. That moment changed my life. Now, I didn't know the late Sarah Kastenbaum, although when I told this story in a synagogue in Washington, the people said to me, oh yes, of course, Sarah Kastenbaum used to be a member here. We don't know that story, but yes, that's the kind of thing Sarah used to do. And that was when I thought of a remarkable teaching that you find in the Talmud, codified by Maimonides, that says, act as if your next act could change the future of the world. And I thought to myself, what a crazy idea. How can any of us change the future of the world? We are only one of six billion people on the face of this planet. We are a wave in the ocean, a grain of sand on the seashore, dust on the surface of infinity. And then suddenly, reading that story from Stephen Carter, told me, we say, Olam, nefesh achatka olam malay, one life is like a universe. Change a life, and you begin to change the universe. That young African-American boy is today professor of law at Yale University, and he is what he is, as he says, because of one small act of kindness by one lady called Sarah Kastenbaum. Never, ever think that we can't change the world. We can one day at a time, one life at a time, one act at a time. And that is the only way you change the world. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. 
Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program. And uh, we've just been listening to Rabbi Jonathan Sachs on a responsible life. And when I listened to this, I must admit that I had tears rolling down my face because I thought to myself, so many of us at the moment are feeling very hurt. There's a sense of heartache, of despair, of absolute shock and exhaustion. And we need to look at a way to rise above that feeling of helplessness. We are never helpless. We all have the ability to be a Sarah or whoever you want to be. But we all need to look at what did Sarah do? She changed the world of one person. And as as Rabbi um, Sachs said, one life, change a life and you begin to change the universe. One day, one act, we all have that, the ability to do that. You know, in uh, the 1960s, he spoke about it the, right at the end of the 1960s, I was actually in Washington at the Walter Reed Hospital, which was a military hospital where all the Vietnam casualties of war were being treated. And um, it was a terrible, terrible time in Washington at the time. There was such suspicion between all the groups. And um, there we are. So when this, when I heard this, this particular YouTube and about Stephen Carter, I thought, well, you know, I felt a lot of despair when I left Washington, and I and I, I could, it was palpable. The hatred between all the races was palpable. And there was a curfew on at night. Um, and here we are, Stephen Carter, remembering the kindness of one person, the kindness to strangers. And we can all do that. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about, and I told you I would, was the moral compass of animals. Because I am sick of people saying that um, Hamas acted like animals. No, animals do not Act like that. Depraved human beings act like that. Animals do have a moral compass, according to an article coming out of Londolozi, which I actually find incredibly interesting. It was written by uh, Robin Morrison, who has a master's degree at the University of Edinburgh uh, School of Geoscience, and she's a guest contributor to the Londolozi newsletter. And she talks about could wild animals possess a moral compass? And she said, uh, looking at the interactions of three different animal species within Londolozi, she said we will unravel the enigma of animal morality and redefine our understanding of ethics in the wild. So first of all, she spoke about monkeys. Well, she said the monkeys have an, a very elaborate social structure and complex behavior. They possess a moral compass. With, there's compelling evidence to show this. Within their communities, the monkey communities, there's a hierarchical system, alliances, and social bonds, and these thrive. They engage in cooperative activities such as grooming, sharing food, and defending group members against threats. They showcase a sense of empathy and altruism. 
They also exhibit a remarkable capacity for fairness, as studies have demonstrated their response to inequity, showing signs of discontent when receiving unequal rewards compared to their peers. On the on the subject of monkeys, I also want to say that they know how to distract humans. I was once sitting on the pat on a patio in the bush, um, and the door behind me was open, and I saw a monkey uh, just to the right of me, and I sort of looked at it, and it wasn't going anywhere, but it was walking up and down, pretending just to be uh, insignificant. Actually, when I look back on it. Then suddenly I heard a crash from coming in, from inside and I, shot, I looked round and there on the kitchen counter were two other monkeys who had gone into the cereal boxes, into the fruit. They had knocked over a pot, which is what the noise was. And there we were, there I had to shoot in and chase it. In the meantime, what had happened was that this one that was standing on the right of me, was trying to mislead me into thinking that all the monkeys were outside while his brothers or sisters, anyway, probably his family, went in and raided the kitchen. So there we are. Now, the other thing that um, the other uh, observation of reconciliation behaviors among, um, uh, of monkeys was um, that in, in um, conflicts, they, they highlight their ability to seek forgiveness and restore social harmony. How much we can learn from that. Um, scientists actually say that to be moral, you must have an understanding of what is fair. Without a concept of fairness, we can't make judgments about other people. And um, studies have actually shown that monkeys do have this sense of of uh, what's right and what's wrong. And then it went on to talk about the social ethics of elephants. Elephants with their highly developed social structures and intricate communication systems exhibit profound social complexities that suggest the presence of a moral compass. Uh, if you're an animal lover, you will agree that animals definitely do have this moral compass. If you are a, an owner of dogs, you will see it so often in them. And certainly with elephants, we keep hearing stories of how elephants help injured or distressed herd members. They provide physical support and emotional comfort to one another. And they also mourn the loss of their loved ones. We've seen this, we've, we've heard it reported, and they engage in funeral-like rituals and they display signs of grief. Um, they also uh, work together in cooperative tasks. I saw a, a short YouTube a while ago of a, a baby elephant that had fallen into, well, got stuck in the mud of a, of a pond, and the other elephants were trying desperately to get this out. One got into the pond, tried to lift the, the baby with its trunk. It couldn't. Other elephants came past, tried to help as well. And eventually game rangers came past. And they saw what was happening. And they hooked this uh, baby elephant up to their, their truck with, with rope and started pulling it out. Well, as they were doing so, 
the other elephants were helping as well. It was an amazing show of community spirit and how together we can all get out of the mud that keeps us stuck. And um, so that's, that's elephants for you. I know that many of you love elephants. And the, the, um, this person who wrote the, the article said, a core memory of hers at Londolozi was watching an elephant calf with an injured leg start to fall behind the herd's trail as they were walking towards the river. It was very hot in the afternoon. All the calves of a similar age started falling to the back of the herd. Some went behind the injured elephant and placed their trunks on his back, trying to push him along to keep up with the herd. Others moved in alongside him, slowing right down so that he did not walk by himself. All of the young elephants were showing a form of either physical support or emotional comfort. Surely, she goes on to say, this is first-hand account of elephants' ability to form deep social bonds and to display intricate emotional responses. Now, to me, this is very definitely a moral compass. And if you want to look that up, you can go onto the Londolozi website, and it was Robin Morrison who was a guest contributor. I was reading the book by um, Michal, um, uh, uh, let me just think what his surname is, uh, Michal Oshman, and it's called What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid? The book is available at most bookstores, and um, and I know, I, th- uh, I think this one came from the Kolel, somebody, my daughter-in-law gave it to me as a present, and it's a book about self-discovery through Jewish wisdom, and it's very it's actually very profound. And how often are we afraid? And she talks about being so afraid in her own life until she started looking at what she was fearing. And I think at the moment we are having, we, there is, there's a general feel of, um, of this uh, uh, chaos in the world. We call it the butterfly effect. And at one stage it was actually called when the person who first started it said it was called the elephant effect, I think he said. But um, this is the chaos theory. And it says that the initial condition of something, what however small how it impacts on a much, much bigger uh, system. And we can see that as a global system at the moment with the war in Ukraine and Russia um, and now in the Middle East. Uh, we are feeling it on a on a global stage, and this is that butterfly effect. So we must never ever believe that something that is happening in one side of the world does not affect people in another side of the world. So we have to really watch what we are doing and keep moving forward, making a difference in this world. And I'm not trying to sound like Pollyanna. Believe you me, there was a time this week when I actually allowed myself to cry. I cried for the injustice of it all and uh, and how so often we have to allow ourselves to cry. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt said, you gain strength, courage, and confidence by every in- experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. You're able to say to yourself, 
I lived through this horror. I can take the next thing that comes along. You must do the thing you think you cannot do. Now those of us who are outside of Israel have the responsibility to talk up, to speak the truth, not our truth always, but the truth, the fact-finding truth of news that is coming out. We also need to build empathy and to become skilled in this, uh, to face our obstacles and work through them. By doing so, we we improve ourselves, but also we help others. And we help others come through this time of need. I have many, many friends and family in Israel and around the world. And speaking to them all, I know that each one is feeling the sense of despair at the injustice in the world at the moment. Now, uh, um Elie Wiesel, the Nobel Peace Prize winner and uh, uh, Holocaust survivor, said, Survival is a privilege which entails obligations. He said, I'm forever asking myself what I can do for those who have not survived. The answer I have found for myself, and which need not, not necessarily be the answer for every survivor, is... I want to be their mouthpiece. I want to keep their memory alive to make sure the dead live on in that memory. I think this is a responsibility that we need to take on after the massacre, the terrible massacre on the 7th of October this year. We need to be the ones who keep their memories alive and say never again. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. We now have a YouTube, another YouTube by Rabbi Abraham Tversky on Advice for Troubled Times. What I try to do with the book, The Sun Will Shine Again, is recognize and acknowledge the reality, right? There have been disasters. People have lost their job. People have lost their savings. They've been wiped out, right? And it throws them into a de- depression, not a sick depression. Prozac isn't going to help for this, right? Uh, but the important thing is, right, when you get depressed, don't panic. Because if you allow yourself to panic, you can make the most ridiculous decisions under, under panic. So yes, depression and it's understood, right? But don't panic. I think the theme of the book really is avoid panic. Keep your equilibrium. Yes, it's tough times, right? But we can weather them, and we have to find ways in which to support each other. The family should get closer, right? Uh, uh, Increase your social ties. Uh, Work on your faith. Work on your prayer. uh, But don't panic, because panic is deadly. One of the points that I make there is a little bit of a a vague point, but I I think it's, it's true. And say, don't allow despair. There's a difference between depression and despair. Now, as a psychiatrist, I've treated many, many people with depression, right? I've had people who were suicidal, and unfortunately, some people have committed suicide. No matter how bad a person feels, if he has has one iota of hope, he doesn't commit suicide. Suicide happens with despair. And what I want people to know is, Despair is a delusion. There is no such thing as despair. You say, what do you mean there's no such thing as despair? I feel despair. I said, okay. A paranoid hears voices. 
He hears those voices. To him, they're real. But they're a delusion. Right? It's a hallucination. I said, I believe that you feel despair. I believe that. But you've got to realize that your feeling of despair is almost a psychotic feeling because despair doesn't exist. Right? You're making it up. Right? That's a tough point to get. Right? But the fact is that if we can understand that we, yes, there is a feeling of despair, but it isn't real. There is no despair. I think it, first of all, as I point out, it focuses on don't panic, uh, recognizing you despaired. Uh, we can't change the reality, but there may be things that you can do if you're not in despair and if you don't panic, right? And keeping your, keeping your equilibrium, you may be able to find things to better your situation. Uh, the other thing is that, uh, to be aware that, yes, you may have lost a lot of money, you may have lost your job, that doesn't take away your value as a human being for yourself, for your family, for your wife, for your children, for your parents. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program, and I see the time is going very quickly. If you'd like to SMS me, please do so on 34519. And telegram me on 061-895-1019. There was a question that I was asked this week about what happens if you happen to be with a group of people. They're your friends. And they are only talking about horror and panic. They literally are so in panic. And the person talking to me said, how do you cope with this with the, when they are your good friends? And I say that actually those people are catastrophizing everything. Right at the moment, the world is in chaos. Israel and Gaza are in chaos. But we have to support one another, not by catastrophizing, but by trying to lift each other up so that we can help one another. Marion Williams says, in every community there is work to be done. In every nation there are wounds to heal. In every heart there is the power to do it. Let us be the heart. Let us be the heart of one another. When someone is down, walk beside them. Help them to walk forward and we have to keep moving forward not become truly stuck in this unbelievable quagmire of mud at the moment um, I was very very pleased to hear that the different uh, in the Jewish report last week public figures who condemned Hamas and I really do thank people like Gareth Cliff Gayton McKenzie um, to, uh, Tony Leon uh, Emma Powell, you know, it's just um, Barry Schwartzberg and uh, M- uh, Muzi Mamami build one South Africa leader. And I, I would like to just say that we need you at the moment and thank you for standing by us. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger also put out a very interesting um, YouTube uh, and passionate YouTube on um, on anti-Semitism, and it's it's worth looking for it on on YouTube. Now, there's a beautiful quote that I think Judy, that I mean, between you and Les, you really do keep me going on my program. 
Judy's also in Sydney. She happens to be Les's wife. And the quote said, The longer I live, the more deeply I learn that love, whether we call it friendship or family or romance, is the work of mirroring and magnifying each other's light. It's gentle work, steadfast work, life-saving work in those moments when life and shame and sorrow occlude our own light from our view. But there is still a clear-eyed, loving person to beam it back. In our best moments, we are that person for another. This was by Maria Popova. And when it said, this, this quote, the sorrow occludes our own light from our view. So often, if we are in our own darkness, we don't see our own light and we do need someone else to be there to beam it back to us. And uh, let's be that person for one another. I love that. Jude, I think it was you who sent it to me. I had uh, uh, printed it out ages ago and hadn't put, said who it was from. Now, at the moment, I know that a lot of us are upset uh, about what's going on in South Africa with marches to Israeli embassy in Pretoria and also what's happening in London. We cannot give in to that hatred or that anger. Other people, if they want to fill that themselves with that hatred, they must go ahead and do so. But we will remain the light to one another. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. Um, when we actually think about what our role is in this world, I think we need to understand what Helen Keller said. Although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it. Now, if Helen Keller can say that, we can certainly say that. Remember that she was blind and deaf, and this is what she said. Just to remember that we do have a responsibility to one another, to other people on, in our lives and not in our lives. Let us be the beacon of light that the world needs at the moment. I know it's a lot to ask, and there are times when we ourselves are going to be slipping into the darkness. Let's hope there's someone beside us to also walk beside us, not in front of us and not behind us, but alongside us. Let us remember to be the Sarah Kastenbaum, to be the kindness to a stranger, um, to, to remember that what Rabbi um, Jonathan Sachs said, to change a life, you begin to change the world, the universe. Reach out to one another in kindness, in love, and in understanding. Thank you so much for being with me today. You, there is a beautiful song which will not come up on the, um, on the podcast, but it's called... Um, you, I saw you put it here a moment ago. <laughs> what was it called again? Uh, I was listening to it on my way here even. And Craig is passing me the name of it. It's a song by Russell Watson, Someone to Remember Me. 
Thank you, and I'll see you next week. And Andy DaCosta will be with me next week, and we'll be talking. She'll be sharing her powerful story with us. Thank you, and thank you, Craig. Thank you, Makundi, and thank you, Bussi.